Overnight on ABC Radio. Dom Knight here in for Rod Quinn, who is still on leave, but fine. Do not worry about him. And it's time to take advantage of the excellent uh, time that we're on air, uh, which allows us to head all around the world, which as you know very well we do during the course of the weekend. And it's time to head to the city we were just talking about during the quiz, uh, Alexander Hamilton's hometown, the place he moved to uh, from his Caribbean island, uh, and have a chat to Celeste Katz-Marston of WBAI-FM in New York City. Hi there, Celeste. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are you a Hamilton fan? Uh, I actually have not seen the show, to be honest with you. I'm not concerned about you spoiling the <laughs> ending. <laughs> you know what happened to Helen Hamilton then? Are, uh, kind of uh, kind of aware of how that ends, but uh, yeah, I have not yet seen it. Maybe someday. It's uh, it's always kind of a, a thing. Well, certainly COVID has, has changed that, but it was always a, a real drama about getting tickets to the show. So oh. I have... Uh, I have not, um, I have not had a chance to check it out just yet. It is a very, very strange moment in in time that Hamilton is now showing here that it's pre, in previews, and you can't see it where it's you know in Broadway, which is tr- totally bizarre. Um, so we feel very lucky here that that's the case. Um, but speaking of COVID and how it's changed everything, unfortunately for the US. Uh, there are still many, many concerns, and the chief of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, has warned of another surge as Americans travel for spring break. Yeah, that's that's something that uh, a lot of people are worried about, and I guess a lot of people, other people, are not too worried about. Uh, I think that this country has sort of become very fatigued with this idea of not being able to travel, not being able to get together with other people. So even though the CDC is uh, encouraging people to be very careful about traveling and only travel if they absolutely need to, there are a lot of people who just want to go on vacation and have fun and hang out. And um, we're seeing uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people getting on planes to, to do just that, which is why uh, some of the health authorities are concerned that this could lead to another surge. And what are the destinations? I, mean, I've, I remember seeing the movie The Real Cancun. MTV presents The Real Cancun in which uh, college students went down to, to Mexico for spring break. But do people normally travel within the country or do they go overseas? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, tradi- there are sort of areas that are traditionally known for spring breaks. One of them is uh, the state of Florida, for example. It has beautiful beaches. It's less expensive uh, oftentimes than traveling overseas. Um, you don't have to worry about uh, exchange rates for money or speaking a different language. Uh, so a lot of people head to places like that. Um, and obviously that's really worrisome during a pandemic when people need to be social distancing and being super careful um, when the you know majority of people in this country are not fully vaccinated, nowhere near it. Uh, against COVID-19. So um, that's definitely something that that a lot of us are worried about. I'm worried about it myself. Have there ever been uh, any restrictions in terms of interstate travel? Because Australia, in a very way that I still can't quite believe was possible, we just closed down all of our state borders or a lot of them um, to prevent outbreaks between states, uh, which, I, you know, I, growing up, I would never have thought you couldn't fly from, from Sydney to Melbourne, for instance, 
Uh, have there been closures of state borders? I don't think I've ever heard of any reports of you know places like Florida saying just don't come in. Uh, what what I think we're seeing more of or have seen more of in the past, and this may be changing, but um, there have been sort of voluntary quarantine guidelines between states. If you are coming into uh, one state from another state where there's been very high levels of of positive uh, testing for coronavirus, they're asking people to voluntarily quarantine in some cases for 14 days, um, that kind of thing. I, I don't think it's it's been too realistic to sort of outright ban people or shut down the airlines completely. And of course, there are uh, lots of other ways for people to travel. Mm. Um, but some states have been more cautious than others about about trying to control who's coming in and what they do when they get there. But in terms of the big picture, though, certainly the U.S. media I've been consuming suggests that the vaccine is is going relatively well. I'm not suggesting that anyone of the CDC is wrong, not far from it. But uh, someone's just texted in here, at least the U.S. has vaccine, not like Australia. We're really only just beginning the mass uh, vaccinations of the population here. Um, is there good news on that front, do you think, Celeste? Yeah, I mean, we are definitely seeing states reporting that they are getting more vaccine supply, that uh, more people are becoming eligible at the beginning when there was a limited supply of vaccine. Um, a lot of that was uh, was being kept aside or was being directed to people who are frontline healthcare workers or older people or people who are already sick with chronic illnesses. And now we're starting to see that opening up in stages where um, People who are younger are starting to get the vaccine. People with, um, you know, one or two uh, comorbidities, illnesses, uh, are starting to get vaccine. Um, people who are in congregate care facilities or nursing homes or what I think you call care homes uh, in Australia are starting to get uh, more access to vaccines. So it, it is opening up slowly. Um, the other thing that people are worried about in the United States, though, is that some people are refusing the vaccine. They're concerned about whether it's safe or they want to see what happens to other people who take it. So uh, even if the vaccine is more widely available, that doesn't mean, unfortunately, that uh, as many people are taking advantage of it as possibly could. Yeah, well, I mean, let's hope that the U.S. gets to herd immunity status reasonably soon. And uh, that seems to be the best path forward in terms of um, really getting this thing under control, just for there to be so much vaccination around that it can't spread to anyone new and so it kind of peters out that that seems like maybe something that might be achievable this year based on what joe biden's been saying yeah and he had said not that long ago that he was hoping that things would really open up and sort of get back to normal uh, in terms of uh, you know outdoor activity or public activity around july 4th uh, you know if could it be sooner or could it be later I mean, that depends on a lot of things on the vaccination rate on um testing and addressing sort of hot spots, uh, whether people continue to take care and do basic stuff that you could do to uh, keep yourself from contracting or spreading the virus, like wearing a mask and cleaning your hands and staying uh, a safe distance from other people. So if, if people uh, sort of um, take those things seriously and, and do them, then I think we'll be better off. But if people get tired of living this way, which we all are, but they let down their guard, then we're going to have a, a bigger problem for a longer period of time, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess so. It must be quite an emotional um, concept, though, a 4th of July 
uh, weekend that looks fairly normal. Maybe you can't have mass gatherings, but still seeing your family and all these things and perhaps traveling home and, and so on. I'm sure a lot of people feel very, get get quite sentimental when they think about um, being able to do that again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I personally have not seen my parents in person for almost a year and a half. And I can tell you that just emotionally, it's very difficult. I'm very close to my family. I really want to see them, but I have been um, you know, holding off on that because I don't want to run the risk of uh, bringing them you know, sickness into their house and mm. be careful of getting sick myself. So yeah, this is not a, a way that we want to live or should have to live, but um, you know, trying to be responsible does does have its sort of its costs. Well, let's hope that those spring breakers are uh, are responsible, and if they if they want to have fun, they at least try and do it in a in a COVID safe way while the vaccinations keep rolling out. It's overnights here on ABC Radio. Dom Knight is my name, and I'm chatting to Celeste Katz Marston uh, from New York City. And Celeste, a very very troubling story from uh, the Atlanta area. Um, uh, mass murders, and uh, most of the victims have been Asian-American women. What can you tell us about that story? Yeah, that's that's certainly something that's been dominating the headlines and has a lot of people very upset and worried. Um, this was a, a, a mass murder. It was um, the person uh, of interest has been charged with eight counts of murder, uh, three separate incidents, all in the Atlanta area. Um, having to do with spas. And as you say, most of the victims were Asian-American women uh, who were at these spas. And um, I think as, right as of this moment, they're still investigating the motives for this. Um, I don't think it's been formally charged as a hate crime, but it does unfortunately come at a time in the United States. And, and as you say, uh, elsewhere in the world where we are seeing a lot of biased incidents and a lot of racial animus against Asian-Americans, um, probably most of that having to do with the coronavirus and unfairly blaming people for starting the pandemic or spreading the pandemic. But, um, you know, it, it's a lot of a confluence of events uh, that has a lot of people frightened, that people just don't feel safe. And um, I happen to be myself of uh, partly of uh, Asian descent, of Chinese descent. And I can tell you that, yeah, I'm, I'm worried when I see people reporting incidents of being harassed or being physically attacked. Um, some of these things are not prosecuted as hate crimes. A lot of these things, um, you know, just finding out from my own reporting are not even being reported to anybody. So they can't be investigated and, and prosecuted. But it, it's a disturbing time. And I think there are a lot of people who are very on edge about this. Yeah, it's a really, really troubling thing. And exactly what you don't want when we're supposed to be pulling together as a community to get through this thing. Uh, I think the UN Secretary General has actually said and, you know, explicitly condemned the uh, the anti-Asian sentiment that's occurred globally as a result of COVID-19. So the problem is on the scale where it's on the radar of the Secretary General. What kinds of things have you, have you noticed or experienced or, or seen reported um, outside of this incident? What kinds of things have been happening in America during this, this period? I mean, really, we've seen, um, we've seen some pretty horrifying incidents. People attacked in the streets, on subway platforms, bus stations, in restaurants, and people being coughed on spit on, sprayed with disinfectant. Um, a lot of the people that are being victimized are unfortunately are older people, people who are perceived as vulnerable or women 
who are also perceived as more vulnerable and, um, you know, just people using a lot of hateful language. And, you know, unfortunately, as I said, you know, a lot of these incidents do go underreported for a lot of reasons. People don't think, you know, they don't want to make a fuss or they're afraid of retaliation. They don't think the police will take them seriously. Uh, in some cases, um, there may be a language barrier or people may be afraid to uh, attract the attention of the police or interact with the police because of uh, immigration status. But, you know, in many of these cases, um, the people who are being targeted are, you know, native-born Americans. They just look different. And, uh, you know, so all of that kind of stirs up into a problem that isn't really fully addressed or fully uh, certainly fully solved, but, um, you know, even what we do know about it is, is very upsetting. And it's good to see that a lot of people are speaking out about this, um, people who are both of Asian descent and not of Asian descent, but um, this is something that's been cooking up in this country for a long time, and so it, it's not going to be solved overnight. Yeah, it's a truly horrible and, and deeply wrong thing, and uh, of course, uh, the, the mass murders in Atlanta are, are, are incredibly concerning, no matter what the motive was, but... Um, if it turns out to be part of this general surge of hatred uh, towards that community, uh, it's just you know shocking on a whole other level. I, I guess Celeste also it, it's probably worth noting at this point that the former president has uh, you know engaged in this sort of rhetoric, and even in the past week or so, he issued a statement that quite unnecessarily pointed to China as the source of the disease, even though at this point, as far as I understand it, that even that isn't clear in terms of what scientists are currently thinking in terms of the origins of COVID? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of discussion about how much the rhetoric of the previous administration and uh, the sort of blaming that went on uh, in the language that was used to do it has been a problem when you are referring over and over again to China virus or Kung flu, uh, you know, phrases that I'm hesitant to even use, but we have to explain what it is, um, you know, people do get sort of uh, ginned up. And, you know, again, this is a, the coronavirus pandemic has not only cost us a great deal in terms of sickness and death, but it has done uh, an incredible amount of damage to the economy. And when people are in dire economic straits, when they're worried about um, paying their bills, feeding their families, making the rent, you know, sometimes people do look for a scapegoat. They do lash out. They do feel angry and helpless. And some people are acting on it in this way. So if you have people at the very highest levels of authority of government um, trafficking in that kind of language and talking about people that way and saying, look, I know you're having a bad time. Here's who you should blame. Uh, that's, you know, that's an endorsement of, of some of this kind of behavior. Now, you know, you could say that, that the former president came out and said that he doesn't espouse violence, but if at the same time he's specifically sort of targeting uh, a certain group of people as responsible or a certain part of the world as responsible. It's, you know, it's sort of hard to, to match up those, those two things. Well, look, let's hope that as, uh, as the vaccines roll out and life uh, slowly returns to normal in the US, all that stuff dies down because it's, uh, it's so. extremely unpleasant and, and horrible. Um, finally, Celeste, it's, all the news has been a, a bit distressing, unfortunately, at the moment. But that's just where we are in, in the world. Some sad news from Boston. Dick Hoyt, the, uh, the icon of the Boston Marathon, has died at the age of 80. Yeah, this was somebody who was very well known, and this is reverberating sort of not only in the, the world of sports, 
but uh, throughout, uh, you know, throughout a lot of different communities. So uh, Mr. Hoyt was uh, someone who was very well known as a, a marathon runner, and he knew he was uh, uh, known specifically because he would push his son, um, Rick Hoyt, in a wheelchair. His, uh, his son was disabled. He had a cerebral palsy. And so he pushed him through, you know, dozens of marathons uh, all over the country. And uh, people looked at this, uh, you know, this man uh, who spent years and years doing this, sort of like participating in this activity with his son, who was paraplegic, is is very, you know, inspiring, a very loving thing to do and um, raising awareness of, of this kind of illness. But, you know, people just thought it was a beautiful relationship between a, a father and a son. And, and I think a lot of people were very moved by this and so are very moved by his loss. Yeah, and I saw there's even a statue of the two of them in, near the start of the Boston Marathon. That's how uh, warmly they're regarded by the, the people of Boston in that community. So farewell, Dick Hoyt. What a great dad. And uh, Celeste, it's been lovely chatting to you. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to update us on, on matters in New York. And I really hope... Uh, things for your community and indeed for everyone across the states are a bit better in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Celeste Katz-Marston there from WBAI-FM in New York. In a few moments, we're going to catch up on the latest uh, from the world of tech.